Well, Aboriginal Sunday is one of those, the, the one day in the year, in fact, when um, our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander brothers and sisters across um, the land, our Christian Aboriginal and, and, brother, and Torres Strait Islander brothers and sisters, invite us to um, pray with them and to um, lift them up and to um, focus on the history of our land, the many sufferings that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people have experienced and continue to experience, but also to acknowledge and celebrate the incredible ministry and leadership of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people across the land because, um, because we have great and significant Christian leaders um, amongst the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander community. And at our church, since the start of January, we've been preaching through the Sermon on the Mount. And what's clear from that is that we worship a God who cares for the people on the margins and also cares for the people who stand up for the people on the margins, people who share in their sufferings. And what I wanted to say today as we celebrate Aboriginal Sunday is that Aboriginal people have been both the ones who have experienced the injustice, but also the ones who have fought for the justice. We can look to them and see inspiring examples of what Jesus is talking about when he says to us, blessed are the peacemakers. So that's what we're going to do this morning. Who are the peacemakers? Who are the peacemakers? What's Jesus talking about? The peacemakers are people, first of all, who are reconciled to God. They've received God's grace and forgiveness and are in right relationship with him. And as a result, they know that God is for peace. And so peacemakers respond to that and they go around seeking reconciliation instead of conflict and war. The Jews were expecting that the Messiah that was to come would be a peacemaker. The passage that I preached on on New Year's, uh, Christmas Eve uh, at 11pm in here was all about that from Isaiah chapter 9, where Isaiah prophesied that the future Messiah would uh, end all the wars. It says in verse 5 of Isaiah 9, every warrior's boot used in battle, and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. In other words, when the Messiah comes, all the tools for war and all the destruction and the results of the war, the, or the terrible blood and death, all of that will be destroyed. And this future Messiah will be the Prince of Peace. And this is exactly what Jesus did and who he was. He came as the Prince of Peace. He announced that the kingdom of God had arrived and he, and he said, do you know what's incredible? Is that the perfect peace that is in heaven is now breaking through the people of God. When the people of God go around being peacemakers, then a window into heaven is opening up and the peace of God is being poured out. And this was a counter-cultural message because there was a strong um, Jewish resistant movement, a vigilante movement, um, called the Zealots, and they wanted to bring peace by using force. But Jesus preached in the face of that, saying that in his kingdom, one did not seek justice through violence. And the Christians in the early church 
Even they struggled with this as well. It took them a long time, still to this day, to understand this. There was always a tendency towards conflict. James, the brother of Jesus, wrote in his letter uh, saying, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. So what we've got to hear loud and clear that in Jesus' preaching, which is summarised in the Sermon on the Mount, one of the biggest messages, messages is turn from retaliation to reconciliation. Turn from retaliation to reconciliation. Perhaps to think about what being a peacemaker is, we've got to think about what it's not. It doesn't mean being a conflict avoider, that's for sure. It might mean being face-to-face with your enemy and having them cause you to suffer. The World War II era famous German Lutheran pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer said in his book The Cost of Discipleship, but their peace will never be greater than when they encounter evil people in peace and are willing to suffer from them. And he went on to be executed by hanging without a trial. So being a peacemaker does not mean being nice and tolerant, although it doesn't mean that that's a bad thing, but that's not what being a peacemaker is about. Peacemaking is about entering into the middle of warring parties so that you can bring reconciliation and peace. One way you can see um, a false kind of tolerance is through what's called both sidesism. You might have heard of both sidesism. It's where you promote this false balance. I remember having a conversation with a friend, a close friend. I'd just seen the um, documentary about one of the documentaries about Adam Goods, the AFL footy, Aboriginal AFL footy player. And I explained how I was moved by this story and, uh, and shocked by the racism shown to him. And then my friend said, yeah, but Peter, you don't really understand. You're not really into footy. And if you're into footy, you would know Adam Goods drew attention to himself and he deserved it. I mean, Adam Goods needs to get over it. And then my friend proceeded to say, I'm a redhead and I've had to get used to people calling me a ranger, so it's no different. And so, in other words, my friend was saying, Adam Goods is just as bad as the booing footy crowds and as a redhead, I've experienced the same injustices as Aboriginal people. And I responded to my friend and said, yes, but in the history of our state of Victoria, we don't have a story of blondes and brunettes waging a war against redhead people and murdering 90% of the population of redheads. And my friend said, fair enough. That's both sidesism. That's not being a peacemaker. The peacemaker takes a stand. When required, they do take sides. And this means you don't tippy-toe around real issues of conflict and injustice. And we've got to learn to do this at both a kind of a justice level, but also an interpersonal level as well. So you might have two friends who are not getting on and avoiding each other. And you're afraid that if you get involved, that you might get um, rejected as well. And that one of them will stop talking to you. So you stand back and you allow the, the conflict to continue. That's not being a peacemaker. A peacemaker seeks to bring reconciliation between their friends who have a falling out. 
Perhaps you're at work and you see some casual racism towards another colleague, and you're afraid that if you speak up against that, that you'll be marginalised by your colleagues at work. So you say nothing. But Jesus says, blessed are the people who call out the racism and promotes change in the workplace and reconciliation. If possible, you bring together or you, you, you confront the racist person and you say, I don't think that's, that's right, you shouldn't do that, and whatever has to happen has to happen. There are times when you step into this awkward thing where you don't know what the response is going to be and you speak up. You get in harm's way to bring peace and justice. Well, for the rest of the talk this morning, what I'm going to do is show you some peacemakers. First, I'm going to show you a a, a missionary couple and then also an Aboriginal leader who became internationally respected for peacemaking. So let's turn our minds to the 1860s on the Murray River and we're going to look at these two people, Daniel and Janet Matthews. Hands up if you've heard of them. All right, so this is why it's good to tell stories. All right. Daniel and Janet Matthews lived on the Murray River near Echuca and um, from the 1860s through to about the turn of the century. First of all, D- Daniel was there with his brother William and they owned this large plot of land and they had a thriving business um, called the Matthews Brothers Central Merchants and they provided food and clothing and other supplies for the settlers up and down the river. And they were doing very well, quite wealthy and successful. But Daniel Matthews saw, um, was, was confronted by the, the suffering and the um, persecution and the disease and the alcoholism and all the injustices um, directed towards the local Yorta Yorta people. And he started to try and think about how he could respond to them. And around at the same time, he met Janet. And um, she was, when he talked to her, she said she wanted to be a missionary to China. And he said, I want to be a missionary too. And he sort of said that to try and attract her. And um, so he convinced her, why don't we be missionaries together um, in our local area? And this was not connected to any missionary organisation. So they had a lot, of re- a lot of resources. They had money and land and, and their approach was to use their resources. And Daniel Matthews was very highly educated and he started writing letters of advocacy to newspapers in Melbourne and Sydney and across the country and also to governments um, advocating for um, adv- acceptance and generosity um, of, towards um, Australia's First Nations people. And this was at a time when Aboriginal people were seen as subhuman, see? So it was a, it was a, a message, it was sometimes speaking to deaf ears. One of the things that Daniel Matthews and Janet Matthews noticed was that the land they held um, was actually considered sacred land by the Yorta Yorta people. And so they decided to give a large chunk of that land back to the Yorta Yorta people. And this land became known as Maloga, which means sacred. And as a result, they decided to call their little mission work the Maloga Mission. And this was a significant sacrifice Um, You can see um, a photo from the Malaga Mission, and online you'll see lots of photos of it. Um, It was was a massive sacrifice because this was how the business was run, using the produce from the land. But but eventually what happened was, Daniel and Janet were so self-giving to the Yelda Yelda that they basically forgot about the business. And and eventually, um, 
much to Daniel's brother's annoyance, um, the business, which was once thriving, went broke. And the diaries and records we have of Daniel and Janet say that they pretty much worked 18 hours a day for six days a week for 40 years for the people. Daniel and Janet gave their life to the Yorta Yorta. One of the areas of Christian justice that's really quite um, got a big focus at the moment um, is to, to dismantle and expose sex slavery. Um, you might have heard of International Justice Mission that has a focus on slavery. Um, they do a lot of work in this area. I've got a friend, Michaela, who's a Seventh-day Adventist. She runs a ministry called Destiny Rescue. Um, and she personally goes to Thailand with this organisation and gets in there and um, as an undercover agent working with the police and um, rescues girls from slavery. Well, back in the days of the Maloga Mission, Daniel Matthews observed that local farmers, there were many local farmers who were using young Aboriginal girls as sex slaves and they had them chained up and tied up in their houses. And so Daniel Matthews famously um, would go around and when he knew that this was happening, he would storm into the house with bolt cutters or, you know, whatever, to cut the ropes free and to rescue the girls and bring them back to the Maloga Mission. And the kinds of men that had these slaves were very unsavoury, as you could imagine. And so Daniel Matthews was shot at many times, and was shot uh, many times, and beaten up as a result. But Jesus looks on a man like Daniel Matthews and says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, to be a peacemaker might mean that you are persecuted. And Daniel and Janet Matthews were peacemakers. As I said earlier, when Jesus affirms peacemaking, he's talking about peace with each other, but he's also, first of all, talking about peace with God. And the good news of, of Jesus is that we can have peace with God, that our sins can be forgiven, that we can receive the Holy Spirit and the joy and the peace of eternal life that comes from his perfect grace. And so we can be reconciled to God. We can have peace with him and we can have peace with each other. And we can promote peace in our world. And Daniel and Janet taught the Aboriginal people about Jesus. They invited them to have faith in him. And there was this one time in 1883 and 1884, the summer of that, 83-84, where they went to the Moira Lakes. If you could bring that up, Ashley. Yeah, there it is. Really amazing place. A special place for the Yorta Yorta. And... Two men from the Yorta Yorta tribe, the Aaron Cooper and Johnny Atkinson, they were both converted um, to Christianity themselves and they kind of led this evangelism campaign and there was a revival amongst the Yorta Yorta and many, if not most of them, um, converted to Christianity. And so there's this great spiritual revival amongst the people. And as a result of this, um, one of the things they did was they started a choir um, and there was a Maloga Mission choir, and they sang old spirituals and Christian songs, and they even were visited by this choir, the, the, Jubilee, the Fisk Jubilee Singers, um, who came across from America, uh, and they were from Fisk University um, th that was started after the American Civil War to provide an education for freed slaves, um, and their gospel songs sort of promoted this peace and sort of sung about, um, you know, the being released from the ch shackles of, of slavery 
Um, and so they came to Australia and they sang at the Mologa Mission. And the people of the Mologa Mission were so moved that they started to learn some of these American spiritual songs, many of them about, you know, the Exodus, um, because in gospel music, the Exodus is a story that really resonates, especially for Aboriginal people, because it's about dispossessed people um, looking forward in hope to return to their land, to their special promised land. And so they translated these American gospel songs, and we still have records of them today. Um, and this reminded me of an amazing thing about music, which is that it's a way to promote peacemaking. A really special experience that I got to have um, in 1998 was I got to um, go to Bosnia three years after the Bosnian War had finish, finished. And it was in the town of Mostar, and it, you know, it, the evidence of the war was everywhere. The buildings were destroyed, bullet holes in all the walls, Many of the men had been killed and only you had majority women and children and older, older people. Um, and the town was being, city was being run by the United Nations. And what had happened just after the war is that the famous tenor Luciano Pavarotti had built this music school in Mostar um, to promote, to promote um, peace and joy amongst people who experienced great suffering. And so... I got to um, perform there with an orchestra and, you know, they say it, said to us that many of the children had never seen an orchestra before. We were the first orchestra that it had visited since the war. And this reminds me, yeah, that, that while God has given us many tools to promote peacemaking, he's given us words and actions, he's also given us our creativity. Through our creativity, we can promote beauty. There's all been academic research to show the way music brings people together. It makes them feel greater than the sum of their parts. It can empower, inspire people to work to accomplish goals together. And it can promote peace because people, when they sing and play music together, they are inspired and they feel their common humanity. We sing in church and we have many great musicians who play and perform music together. And one of the reasons we do this is because it promotes harmony and connection between people. It's one of the things that the, um, the people in our community who don't come to church are attracted to. Some of the closest friends I have in my life are people who I've played music together, Christians and non-Christians. So if you're a musician or an artist, I encourage you to use your talents, not just for yourself or to feel good, but to promote peace. This is what they did on the Maloga mission. And so the peace and the love that Daniel and Janet promoted was reflected in the names that the Yoda Yoda gave them. They called them Mr. and Mrs. Maloga, and they also called them Maranuka, which means friend. And what was going on there drew the attention of the media, and one journalist from the Footscray Advertiser went to um, visit, and what he observed... In, this is in 1887, it's up on the screen. He wrote this. The Aboriginals are basking in the sunshine of plenty, sitting under their own vine and fig tree, while the superintendent, I gather from outside sources, has impoverished himself and his family, being forced to neglect his own material interests through his extra care and affection for the blacks. I left the place feeling that a life had been given away in devotion to the natives' welfare. 
So we can say, blessed are Daniel and Janet Matthews, for they will be called children of God. Now the thing about peacemaking is that it's infectious. And one of the yorta yorta who converted in the revival of 1883 and 84 was a man called William Cooper. William Cooper was about 23 years old when he converted and, you know, it was his brother who was leading the evangelistic campaign. He went on to become an Aboriginal activist, a human rights advocate and a defender of the oppressed. One of the things he was most famous for in history from an international perspective was that in 1938, when um, the Nazi party um, enacted what, what's been called the Kristallnacht, which, which where they went around to um, thousands of Jewish um, businesses and synagogues and houses, and they smashed the windows, they terrorised the people, and then they arrested the men and put them in concentration camps. This was on November 9 and 10 in 1938. Um, this, this kind of sent shockwaves around the world, but, but um, William Cooper observed this from from Australia, and he was so shocked that he, he organised a petition and he led a protest to the German consulate. And he was one of the early people who advocated um, for the Jewish people just before the war had begun. And so as a result, he's been honoured in, both in Israel and also in Australia for his amazing work of advocacy for other people. But one of the most significant things he did was he founded the Australian Aborigines League. And there's a letter I can show you up on the screen, which is a circular, it's a bit hard to read, but it's a circular letter that went around to the churches in Australia that basically invited pastors to um, preach sermons on Sunday, 23rd of January, 1938, in support of Aboriginal people. And he tells them about a protest uh, that was going to happen on the 26th of January, 1938. And he says that in the letter, Aboriginal people intend to observe a day of mourning concurrently with the white man's day of rejoicing to celebrate the 150th year of the coming of the white man to Australia. And this 1938 day of mourning was the first national civil rights gathering organised by First Nations activists from different states working together. And this day is what we now call Aboriginal Sunday. So to finish, William Cooper's faith in Jesus, it gave him a framework and a passion for justice and a boldness to speak up for those less fortunate than him across the world and in his own community. He was inspired by the example given to him by Daniel and Janet Matthews and most of all, transformed by his faith in Jesus. So we can say, blessed is William Cooper, for he will be called a child of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for people like Daniel and Janet and especially William Cooper who um, have been transformed by your Holy Spirit, have been reconciled to God and who promote reconciliation and peace in our world. And we pray, pray that as a church that we will be a peacemaking church. We'll be peacemaking in our local community, in our friendships, in our families, at our workplaces, at school, but also that we'll stand up for the issues of justice, even when it's awkward.
that will stand in the way of injustice and that we will um, open up a window into heaven and let your peace shine through. Amen.